welcome back to What the HR Podcast. I'm Jesse Novi, an HR business partner with CH Robinson. And I'm Mike Tool, HR technology consultant with SAP SuccessFactors. Welcome back to another episode of What the HR. Today, we're joined by Kimberly Carroll, who is the managing principal with IA. IA is a trusted advisor to senior leaders, and they support strategic initiatives that transform the way organizations work. Their team of professionals apply a revolutionary eye, deep domain experience, and flexible tools to accelerate the achievement of even the most ambitious goals. With a cross-functional and strategic perspective, they thrive on big, messy problems, whether large or small, public or private, domestic or international. It is their job to support leaders and their teams in achieving outcomes that are truly unique to their culture and objectives. So Kimberly is in this work because she's really passionate about change and using her background to influence HR leaders to really transform their organizations. She believes that her superpower is serving as a sounding board, a therapist, and a mentor to her clients. So in this episode, we really talked, um, our focus of the, of the episode was really to talk about the importance of that relationship between vendor and client and how it, it really should be just that, a partnership. It should be like an extension of um, the client's business versus just a vendor relationship as an example. So we talked about the importance of the work that um, clients and um, their vendor partners can do up front to make sure that um, needs are for, are fully defined for a great rollout experience um, and much, much more. So if you are somebody that um, is in the process of maybe onboarding or considering the onboarding of some new vendors. Um, you work in this space or are interested in this space. This is definitely an episode you will you won't want to miss. Um, Kimberly was incredibly knowledgeable on the topic, um, and this is also Mike's wheelhouse. So you'll enjoy um, the the banter and the back and forth that Kimberly and Mike had in this episode. As always, if you are loving our guests and loving our podcast um, topics, please do us a huge favor. Go out to your favorite podcast platform, leave us a rating and review. Those rating and reviews really help ensure that these episodes get into the hands of other HR professionals and other business leaders. Um, and as always, thank you so much for being a listener of the What the HR podcast, and we hope that you thoroughly enjoy this episode. Thanks for listening. All right, Kimberly, thanks so much for joining us. Thank you. <laughs> I'm glad to be here. Yeah, always so, good to talk. <laughs> absolutely. A, a very easy way of getting started. Uh, tell our audience just about you, about kind of the work that you do, and, and then um, we'll get into kind of why we're here. Yeah, absolutely. So I am a, uh, I work for a very small boutique uh, consulting firm called IA. Used to be Inflection Advisors, but we shortened it because nobody could ever spell it. So we shortened it to IA. And uh, we do a lot of work within the HR transformation space where we help clients through strategically thinking through their roadmaps, uh, process optimization, selection of new technology for, for, those, uh, for those changes. Um, and I've been in the business for over 25 years. Uh, prior to coming to IA about nine years ago, I was at Fidelity Investments uh, where I worked throughout uh, technology, implementation, um, and uh, benefits, and, and anything under the sun when it comes to HR. So mm -hmm. that's me. So, and, and all right, so I want to get into the kind of where we started this all off was that you had 
released an article on on how HR vendors are are bullies. Um, I want you to explain what you meant by that. Uh, and then I, I also want to get into, as you talked about processes and optimization, we'll get to that later, but let's start with why the HR vendors are bullies. Bullies. Yeah. So, so when we, so <laughs> we are virtual, we're a virtual organization. So when we uh, acquired somebody or hired somebody in New York, it was a, there was a requirement for us to um, take sexual harassment training. So I was taking that training and as we were going through it, a bullying portion of that came up. And that made me start thinking about how technology vendors really just want to get a sell. Sales never gives implementation, you know, the right information, or they try to sell something that's not um, right. And so implementation is then stuck trying to implement something. So now it's just get them implemented. And then it gets into service and service in the technology and tech space has been challenging over the last couple of years. So it felt it always felt to me that, sorry, <laughs> um, that our, um, our, it's not a partnership anymore. It's a, it's, it's, it's almost like client versus technology provider. So that's, that was the premise of why we were thinking about it is that you guys, not you guys, but technology partners, um, they really need to partner through the implementation, through the sales process, through the implementation and in service. Um, and I just, just felt like it wasn't like that. Yeah. So, to, and and I agree. I feel like I'm well equipped to have this conversation since I am on the HR tech side. But I, I am curious what your perspective is. Is what is responsibilities of maybe the client? Um, because as somebody who's done this for almost ten years, um, sometimes you can't ask or you don't have answers to questions that aren't asked, let's say, right? right? So you, right. usually you go through these processes and you try to ask everything you can think of, but naturally you're going to run into some things in implementation that they just weren't talked about. And that's mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. not really anybody's fault. They just weren't. So how what would you say to people going through an evaluation to make sure this doesn't happen? Right. So we, um, we push... We push our clients um, heavily on optimization prior to even selecting a technology. Um, one of the things that we don't we don't ever allow our clients to do is just go out to RFP and select a technology. Um, because if you if you take your existing processes and you move them into a new technology, you're going to have those challenges, right? So uh, these new the new um, providers really allow for more flexibility from a configuration and business process perspective. But a lot of our clients, at least coming from um, on-premise systems out to the cloud, they don't do that. I've had several clients where they have just lifted and shifted into, um, into their new platform. And when they do their selection process, they don't know what they want. Um, they just want, they think, oh, let's just go vanilla and don't ever do that. Uh, so we we take the stance that you really need to get to know yourselves, get to know what business processes uh, you really want to then give that to your provider. So it's to build the relationship between both client and provider. They can't just dictate the way they you want it, but really build that relationship between. And clients do that poorly. I will say they we I've had some clients that are just like, no, they work for us and and they have to do whatever we want. Um, and that's not just how that's not how it how it works. So we 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 take a different stance in a selection process. We don't just go after technology. We go after how to make changes optimized before you move into a new te- technology. Mm-hmm. That's the only way. That's the only way we've been successful with our clients and getting them to make changes. So w- when you are going through like the optimization process, 
Is that because I think when people decide they, they need a, a new tech solution, they want it now. So is that is that a fairly quick process? Like when you work with people, can you get through that in a couple months or is this going to delay them getting their shiny object? Yeah, it can. Right. So, and it depends. I, I always hate when my client tells me it depends with something, but um, the, the, it depends is how many processes, what is the, what is the selection that they're going after? If they're going after a benefits administration selection um, that might not be as as much process um, optimization as if you're going after a full HCM that has talent, um, talent acquisition, um, payroll. So those are that's where that's where it depends. It can slow it down. We do have a client we're working with right now through an HR and finance transformation that when we were talking to them about this opportunity. Um, to do this work ahead of time because they've been on an on-premise system for 20 plus years. So they've customized it so much that if they tried to go out to the cloud, they won't, they won't be successful. Mm -hmm. So, um, so yeah, it's, it's slowed down the project for them to be able to get to a new technology provider, but now they're going to be more informed about what they want um, versus just going through and um, picking a technology and then trying to figure out what they want. So, um, so yeah, so it can slow down a process, but in our opinion, it is the right slowdown in the process. That's why the whole bullying thing was don't just get us implemented, really get us implemented or sell us based on what we need, not what maybe you think we need. So, well, and maybe it slows down the initial process, but could one argue it speeds up the latter half of the process because you're not making those decisions in real time. You've already been thoughtful about making those decisions up front. Absolutely. And um, and it, I mean, implementation is always hard, right? So it's hard on all, all doing implementation. But if you have an idea of the business process that you want to be implemented, um, and it, it might not be perfect, right? So you're going up to your ideal state. Uh, the technology might not have caught up to that ideal state, but at least you have a, a way, a, you have a, a knowledge of where you want to go. And the technology can be configured um, knowing that you want to change moving forward. And it helps the clients and the providers understand change management. Um, that is another thing that is lost on implementation is that it, it actually just on system technology, putting out a new technology is you got to lead with change and this is the way to do it, right? So if you get those business processes defined of how you want to work after you've gone live, then you can communicate to your, your population how, how this new technology is going to help and not hinder their progress. Mm-hmm. Can you talk a little bit about how you recommend customers engage with HR vendors? There is a lot of relationship selling in this space, uh, whether that be events or gifts or anything like that, right? Like we we laugh because it's true, but you know, as somebody who's in the space, you walk into processes and you can tell right away when somebody already kind of knows who they want. Um, And that is, I think that's risky. And I've seen projects blow up like that because they just, they have this idea of who they want and everything kind of skews to their favor. So Mm -hmm. how do you, how do you advise customers to go in and say, look, I know you may have a good feeling about some people. But you have to 
kind of put your blinders on and take the process for what it is. Mm -hmm. So we are very transparent with our clients um, and our process, the way we handle selections is a little bit different than a typical procurement led um, selection process. We lead with um, use cases and we'll also um we, we build specific touch points so that the client and the provider can really get to know each other. Um, so what we, 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 we can't allow our clients to be biased and we'll tell them that to you. We'll say you have a bias towards this provider um, or you heard, you know, 10 years ago that this provider did this and they were terrible Um and you can't lead with those biases. You've got to you've got to allow those providers to to show you how they've um, provide how they've changed uh, going forward, right? So I mean, yes, you know, you know, ten years ago maybe it wasn't so great, but now they've they've made these modifications not only to their technology but to their service um, and to their their thought processes of how to uh, engage their clients. So I think I mean, you know, you think about you know, your competitors or the competitors out there. I mean, they just have to, you all have to do the same thing. You have to treat your clients like partners, right? So as soon as, and that's why you have to, you can't, you can't kind of push them into something that might not make sense for them. So for us, it's, it's all about just communication, touch points, and us being transparent with our clients about, um, about the provider, the landscape, and how, how they have to treat the providers and how the clients, the providers should be treating the the clients. I kind of liken it to other services, right? Like I've had situations where I've gone to, and this is not specific to HR services. I'm just talking mm-hmm. about like personal services in my life, like maybe a medical provider. Mm-hmm. And that medical provider has said, I'm actually not the best resource for you, Jess, but let me, let me refer you to somebody who can really be a great resource for you. And I think, Oftentimes when that happens to me in my personal life, I'm almost caught off guard. Like, oh my gosh, like you're turning away my business, but you're turning away Mm -hmm. my business because you care about me or the experience, you know, that I would have. Um, And I really like that you had also notated that it's like an extension of the business. I, in my current role, I don't deal with implementations, but previously I worked for a smaller organization and was very involved in them. And I remember us always telling vendors that we would have preliminary conversations with, we are looking for somebody that's like an extension of our business, an extension of our team. You know, we, we don't want there to feel like there's a disconnect because if there is, then something is off for likely one of us or both of us. Absolutely. And I think that, and it's, it's interesting is like when you have a procurement led, they think of a, a vendor or a provider as a supplier. Right. So it's it's even language like that is partner. Right. So what's wrong with that partner role and building that partnership versus provider, vendor, supplier? And I, I mean, we we talk about partnership a lot and um, part of our scoring mechanism, the way that we use and think about scoring. It's not just about feature functionality. It's also about cultural fit, um, because it's really important that when you all when 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 clients and providers or partners come together, that they really know each other and they get to know each other in a, in a more meaningful way so that it makes the process a little bit more smooth because it is hard. I mean, it's hard to select and move 
20 years of data into a new system. Not that I would ever say that to bring all that history, but it's just move those. And, and because the, the client has to change, the, the culture of the client has to change to have a different mindset than, than where they are uh, currently today. So, I mean, it's, I like that. I like the, the, the language, the, the change in the taxonomy a little bit from vendor provider to partner. Yeah, and it's it sounds great, and I would love it as well. It's the reality of it isn't always the case, and so I love that that that's the message that you're bringing to the market because, uh, and and not not everybody's not on the vendor side is is probably doing their job on partnering, but um, it's oftentimes on on both sides, you know, where mm-hmm. you know you're you're looking and you want that, but you're put into this bucket, right. As a vendor. And it's like, well, we're only going to tell you information you need to know. And it's like, it's very hard to help somebody right. when that's the case. And you know, there's a wall and you kind of learn to deal with that. And you try to ask questions to get around it. So I also, I want to talk about what I would call like, and this is a big problem in our industry and maybe other industries, but I know specifically this one, and that is white lies. I didn't lie to you. I just didn't give you all the information necessarily. And, and it happens a ton. And when, because it is such a competitive space, you know, somebody may say, Hey, can your system do this? And the answer may be yes, but the reality of it is yes, but you have to do 10 steps in the system and you got to customize this field. That's a little different than yes. Right. Cause it's, it's, it's misleading. How do you, how do you, you know, how do you make sure that customers don't fall into that trap? Is it like mm-hmm. a follow-up question? Yes, we can do it, but how? Yeah. So we, um, our, our process is, um, is use case driven. So uh, those key requirements that are come out. So we know we have a, we have a big workbook that just has all the standard requirements in it, but then we, we, uh, we provide use case driven uh, workshops prior to the RFP ever coming back. So we release the RFP, then we do these day, day and a half workshops that allow the provider to showcase the the key requirements, the key processes that are really important to our clients. Um, We don't just allow them to say yes, and we dig deep into the requirements to say, how do you do that? So we've had, we've definitely had it where providers will say, yep, we do that. But then we also have it on paper, right? And we can always bring it back to the forefront to say, you guys said you could do this, but um, you you didn't. And you couldn't like local taxation, right? So local taxation from a payroll perspective is always one of those things that, oh yes, we can do local taxation, but it's how. How does that work? And what is the responsibility of the client to do? And what is the responsibility of the provider? Mm-hmm. So um, so we, we dig into them. Um, and we do those workshops from a use case perspective. Then once we get the responses back, we'll do deep dives of things that, um, may be a little, uh, of question that we, that we have questions on mm-hmm. trying yeah, to actually, hold, hold you all accountable for, uh, yeah. <laughs> and, and that's, that's fair. I mean, everybody should do that. And it's a give and take when you're going through these processes. And I think sometimes on the vendor side, they're afraid to ask questions because they don't want to run into a feature gap. Right. And then sometimes you know, on the customer side, you know, they don't want to ask questions either because same thing, like they, they don't, they don't want to identify the gaps and risk the project essentially. Like, right? so everybody's kind of doing that yeah. same thing. 
But that's why those workshops to us are so important. It's it's to it's the real it's the second time we bring we bring you all together, bring you all bring the provider and the client together. But it's it's a mutual discovery workshop. So yes, we give use cases and yes, but this is the time to ask questions. And um, a lot of times we're there to help proctor the the whole day and ask. And ask the hard questions because we're going to be, tra- as I said, we're a pretty transparent organization and we're going to be transparent at that time with both the provider and the client and help help through through those. But I think for us, it's the workshops. The workshops really help us truly understand the capabilities of the of the solutions that, mm-hmm. the, uh, that the providers are, are bringing forward. Well, when, when you walked into these projects and advise customers do you advise them to pick like a couple things that are most important and really stick to that because it is very easy in these processes to get sidetracked by the shiny object right you walk in thinking and people even told me right these are our three most important things and at the end of it you're like well we cover those three most important things yeah but we really wanted this and you're like okay so did you lie to me or did it change in the middle of the process because you saw something and they kind of took your your mind off of it. So I'm curious how many things need to be important and like, like what do people need to watch out for? Yeah. And that's a hard, it's a hard question because it, I think it depends on scope too. Right. So, I mean, and uh, what we have also, we, we advise our clients to tell them that no system will be perfect. There is no mm-hmm. such thing as a perfect system out there and you're going to have to have some compromises. So that's why our scoring model really allows for quantitative and qualitative um, measures as we look through um, through the solutions that the providers are, are saying or are, are, are presenting. And um, but we, we have some, we always go with key requirements. So at the beginning of our process, we talk about what are what are the key things that if a provider could not do this, would you not want to provide them or uh, have them come along? So we do briefings ahead of time with those key requirements. So the 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 um, the amount of uh, briefings we do are more, and then we we narrow the scope down to those those providers that can actually do it. So if we start with seven, we'll go down to three or whatever the number is that we we decide to do. Mm-hmm. But we do do that. It's key requirements, but uh, I mean, the use cases are what what will drive most of the most of our process. Is is what are those key things? And depending on scope, as I said, if you have full scope, then it's going to be a lot more um, of those key because we don't want to limit it to just you know a few HR processes or a few uh, finance processes. We want to understand the connection between you know, underlying technology that has to move data across the whole thing, um, or, you know, how, how a, a HR system talks to a finance system. I mean, those kind of things are very important to our clients and depends, you know, the integration piece is the, is, is always key and how, how, how providers are moving forward with, with, um, data movement and stuff like that. Yeah, it's all the small, most important things, uh, and 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 I love the information that you're given. And for people listening, it sounds like, hey, do your work in the beginning, like really vet things out, because as you probably know, when we come to the table and we say, hey, we really want to sit down and do an analysis or discovery, we really want to learn more about you. Everybody just says, I just want to see the demo. Yeah. 
right? It's yeah, always yeah. like, I, I don't want to talk to you about that stuff. Just show me the demo. And so right. it's, you know, you're putting, and there's been a lot of pushback. And I think some of the bullying comes from that piece where we've Absolutely. kind of been trained right over the last however many years to say, you know what, like, fine, I'll give you the demo. Like you don't want, right. and, and, or, or no, we're just not going to even play. So how important right. is the demo? How important is the demo to you? And like, how do you advise people on that? Yeah. So I think that the demo is very important, but it has to be, it can't just be a open-ended demo, right? Mm -hmm. So I think that it has to be, what is the client really trying to accomplish? Um, And this is where I think providers could do a better job is really understand the outcomes that they're looking for versus just just selling them a technology, right? So, I mean, what is it that they're really needing? And that's where we come in, right? So we we come in and we make sure that our clients know what objectives they're going after, what the outcomes are. We, we drive guiding principles for them to make sure that they are not going astray, right? So you talked about, you know, what are those key things? Well, we know that they, they will see it, right? You pop up a new, you know, the new app, right? And it's, it's beautiful and it, you know, everybody can do everything, but are they even ready, right? So are they even ready from a, do they even have a strategy for mobile? You know, those kind of things get to know your clients a little bit better ahead of time before you go and show them mm-hmm. all of the bells and whistles that a, your platform, that a platform can do. Because I have clients that, you know, we had a utility client once. And they were so old school that if you tried to take them from the 1990s to the to 2020 in technology, you were never going to get them there because it was, it, 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 t- it takes time to change that behavior, change the way they think about technology, change the way they think about their managers. Mm-hmm. So I would say one of the biggest things from just don't just demo all the bells and whistles, demo what they, what they need, not just what you think they need to hear. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Or what, what show is best. Right. I, I, yeah. yeah. That's, I think that's one of the issues too, is, is people have been trained that, Hey, you're going to ask me for all this time, but then ultimately you're going to come back and you're just going to show me a canned demo. And that's, right. that's where the vendors fall down quite a bit. Well, and we don't want that to happen. If we do that, we've, we've actually, you know, during our, uh, we don't normally kick vendors out during our workshop process, but we do score the workshops and we have done it. Because of that exact thing is they were not prepared. And we um, we overload a little bit. And then I know we do this. We overload a little bit with here's what their current state looks like because we want the providers to truly understand, you know, when you're going into implementation, don't just sell this. When you go into implementation, you need to know that the, the client is going to have a hard time. They're going to, they're, we're trying to get them from point A to point B, but that point B, there might be like, point a dot one point a dot two right mm-hmm. because it's it's they especially those on-premise to cloud implementations it's just hard for them to make those changes and change not culture because pr- every time I hear culture and business process it drives me crazy because business process does not equal culture culture mm-hmm. is yes you are you have a great culture you want to be a serving culture great but that doesn't mean you you don't allow technology to help um, help business process. So I always hate that. So, but you have to change that mindset. There's a mindset change that has to happen within the organization to get to your beautiful new shiny object. It doesn't always work like that. So get to know your client. I mean, any provider, get to know your clients where they are and Mm -hmm. not, uh, and then where they want to go. And then how do you all partner with them to get them there? 
Yeah. Couldn't agree more. And just thinking about it is, uh, I know we kind of run up on time, but in terms of like advice to people who are looking through these things, like what are some of the common maybe red flags that they would hear? Cause there, there's a lot of buzzwords in this industry. There's a lot of over promises, right? We have the best service in the world. We got dedicated reps. Mm-hmm. You hear that all the time. Um, and as you said in the beginning, I don't think software has figured out the customer service thing, but there's also other things out there that people tend to lean on. And then, you know, like what, I guess what I'm asking is what, you know what I'm saying? What are the red flags? What, if somebody hears something, they should be like, okay, hold on. Yeah. So I, um, so one of the things that we always encourage our clients to do is to go and do backdoor references. Don't just wait for the references to come from the providers. <laughs> so, <laughs> cause you know, I mean, why would you give them as a reference if, right. uh, if, if you don't? So we always encourage them, but one of the things is that, especially with the, the larger providers, with the larger providers, they have sometimes a reputation in the in the industry of being a little inflexible or whatever. I think that with our clients, those red flags that you might be hearing from other people are maybe because they didn't go through this process, right? So they didn't go through the optimization process prior to implementing a new technology. And the red flags in the in the in the industry are, you know, that is the biggest challenge, right? Is is it's not the providers, it's you as a company. <laughs> you as a company need to do your own do your work and due diligence first before moving into a new technology. If you don't, I've had several clients that have implemented the implemented um, technology and um, did not go through it, then we have to come back and redo it. And, um, and that's just, that's a bad feeling. So for me, it's, it's, if you all can, not you all, but like the, that's a collective, if provider client can really have a conversation and this is where maybe sales should, should push, right? So push the clients to say, Maybe you should optimize. And that's a hard thing, right? Because you want to get the sale. But if they're not willing, are you all willing to walk away, right? If they're not willing to make those changes, is the provider willing to walk away to say, look, you all are not ready for this because you all need to optimize? Mm-hmm. I mean, is that that? And from a client perspective, they should, they should definitely, I, we believe in optimization. Don't just move into a new technology. So. Yeah. Well, yeah. And it, it is, it's great advice. And, you know, I think in easier said than done, right. It's like, this is how, this is how salespeople literally provide for their family. And I don't know how right. many times, and it's happened to me. I've had customers leave the company I'm working with and they say, well, you guys don't do these things. And we're like, we do do those things. You just never, you never asked and you never implemented right. it. The, the right. salesperson on the other side, isn't going to tell you, oh no, they do that. And they should. I mean, it's, yeah. it's like, so it is, it, it's tough to, it's tough to figure that one out. It would it be, right. And that's why almost a consultant needs to come in and help with those things. Cause if I walk down a lot and say, Hey, my car doesn't yeah. do this, that car salesman is going to say, well, maybe we should go to the mechanic and fix yours before you buy a new one. Right. Right. <clears throat> so. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's a, it's a hard, I do believe that sales is in a hard place because you guys have the sales 
And I, I remember I used to work in implementation and I always hated when sales would sell something that we actually couldn't implement. And it's yeah. like one of those things where maybe, maybe a collaboration more with that process, maybe, maybe rethink the comp structure for sales, right? So is it, is it just the sell or is it, you know, what else could it be that could help? Yeah, customer success metrics, they are making their way into it, which is great. I I definitely am an advocate advocate for that. Um, And, and you know, the other thing is, is for people listening who go through a project, be open and transparent. Like I I will say salespeople, we do want to collaborate. It's it's the most fun we have in a process is when people just tell us how it is and say, this is what we need. And you try to help them, you know, versus like boxing everybody out and being like, you know what, we're not going to really tell you where you stand. Right. Uh, we're going to leverage that competitiveness amongst all these five vendors. And you just kind of, right. it doesn't, it, you know, it, it takes two for a partnership. And the one thing I will say, I guess the last thing to ask about is kind of big vendor versus small vendor. You talked about flexibility and, and there's some service things. And I look at it like, you know, I used to be with a really small credit union mm-hmm. and service was amazing. I would call, Joyce would answer, hey, Mike, how's it going? <laughs> The problem was I had to call every week because their technology broke constantly. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So that's the give and take. And I'm curious when you walk into someplace like, and so now I moved to a very big bank, probably the biggest in the world. The customer service is the worst probably I've ever seen. I never have to call them though, because the tech, everything works. And so I'm, how do you walk people through that? Yeah. And I think that there's a, so, so when I think about service, um, one is holding yourselves accountable for service, right? So SLAs and um, putting your money where your mouth is, right? So, hey, here are our SLAs. But the other thing is, is if your technology and you, and you implement it appropriately, you shouldn't need right. um, the, need, the need for service. However, there, there are a lot of challenges that we see with our clients today around governance, right? So you can get behind in the cloud just as easily as you could on premise. Yep. But the problem is from an HR business process and systems governance process, our clients are not set up for success when they go live. So then they rely on service. And this is this is across the board. So either they're having to get a managed services provider to help them or they... Um, you know, some of the smaller providers actually co- provide that service, but it's um, it, you get put in a queue and it's just a, the lack of communication and understanding around how to manage these systems after go live. So for, for us, we've, we've done a couple projects with, um, I say a couple, a lot um, of projects with clients to build governance models for understanding business process and systems and how, how um, releases come in, how you manage those, how you manage changes in the market, all of that. That is another thing that I think providers could do a better job at is really setting expectations of what it really means to own these systems because you now own it. Versus you own it. I mean, from a configuration standpoint, you can't code, but you can configure it and you can get behind when releases come in. I couldn't agree more. And you're right. I've seen it all the time now where it's, that goes back to that point of, well, the system can't do it. Like Mm -hmm. you're six versions behind. That's right. 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 Like, and so there is, yeah, the customer success thing and maintaining that system is super like critical. And 
And that's where I, I would say the vendors do it poorly as well, just up front, right? Our mm-hmm. system is so lightweight and so easy to use yeah. and it runs itself. You don't need any, right. like, hold on here. That's like, not true. You know, <laughs> yeah. So I am curious uh, yeah. as we kind of wrap up, but like the resources that companies should have and, you know, is the director or VP of HR and then an HR generalist, is that, are those people, is that really who should be managing this system? Right. Or no, 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 no. So we, um, we work with several, we, we work with several com- uh, companies to build their shared services models and um, having an HIRS team or an HR or HR systems team. Um, they're not just going to manage the one platform, but all HR systems, because it's not the same as a regular technology. Now there is always, there's going to, there's going to be a battle between IT and HR of who should own what, um, but it's a collaboration, right? So us, it's, you either have a team or you do outsource it, right? So you can outsource it to a manage and um, uh, manage provider. Uh, uh, what is it called? Um, managed services. Managed services. Thank you. And um, so, so you can do that too, right? So you, you as an organization have to make the decision on whether or not you want to own it in-house or do you want to outsource it. Mm-hmm. But um, if you if you own it in-house, then you need to build the capabilities within your team. Uh, you almost need to get them certified on the technologies that they're they're utilizing so that they are the best to to manage it. However, HR business processes should be owned by HR, not by this team. They don't own the business process. They should own it and business process owners should manage and maintain and modify those business processes as new releases come in. So there's a collaboration between those two as well. Mm-hmm. There's, it's not a, it's not one team. It's a, it's definitely a collaboration between yeah. different teams and there needs to be a governance model and prioritization because you can't do everything. Yeah. <laughs> so well, this has been amazing information. Before we wrap, can you tell our listeners? Well, actually, before that, Jess, I want to make sure that you get a chance to ask any questions that were outstanding. I know you were just listening, but yeah, no, it was great. Nothing else to add. Um, this is Mike's wheelhouse, so I was letting him run the show today. <laughs> yeah, I'm like a kid in a candy store on this one. Oh. Usually, usually Jess has all the insight into it, and today I actually know what I'm talking about. Um, but before we wrap. Kimberly, can you tell everybody like where they can contact you, whether that's social media or find out more about IA if they if they want to use your services? Absolutely. So um, our website is um, ia-hr.com where you could go in and and um, and see what we do. Uh, but you can also email me. Um, and do you want me to give them my email address or if you want to? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's uh, K Carroll, C A R R O L L, at IA HR.com. Awesome. Yeah. Well, it was a pleasure having you on. Thank you for everything you do. Yeah. And uh, hopefully we can fix the bullying and start working towards <laughs> partnerships. So thanks yes. so much, Kimberly. Absolutely. Thank thanks, you. Thanks, Kimberly. Thank you for listening to this episode of What the HR. If you want to hear more episodes like this, be sure to subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, or whatever platform you're listening through now. If you enjoyed the podcast, do us a favor and share with your network, your boss, or your CEO. Help us get this podcast in front of anyone who wants to know what HR looks like when done well. Also, if you have any questions for show topics or people you'd like us to interview, please email Mike and I at podcast at tcsherm.org. That's podcast at tcsherm.org. If you want to find out more about Twin City Sherm or our upcoming events, 
please visit our website at tcsherm.org. You can also follow us on LinkedIn, Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. And finally, if you're not already a member of Twin City Sherm, please use code WHATTHR at checkout to receive $20 off your membership. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next episode.